So uh, I think uh, 2015 uh, will be a year of a lot of gathering, uh, Blue Water, uh, a lot of evangelism. The Lord has spoken to us about that uh, uh, abundantly. And uh, I think the thing that equips us best for ministry of all sorts is the experience of walking in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. I really can't imagine life with God uh, without it. I, I can't imagine walking with Jesus and not being able to have those supernatural prophetic conversations with the Lord uh, like Camille uh, testified about or like we saw uh, during last week's uh, prophecy service. Jesus um, speaking to his disciples right at, right, right at the end, right before uh, he would leave them and ascended to heaven, uh, he told them in Luke 24, you are my witnesses. He said, you, you are my agents in the world. Now I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in this city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What he was speaking about there, of course, was uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that third person in the Trinity of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the here and now. Uh, we call that presence uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, typically. And uh, if you have read the Jesus stories at all, if you have read the history of the early church that is presented in the book of Acts or in the epistles, anything in the New Testament, you know that the people of God are marked profoundly with the presence of God, the presence of God in the here and now. Not God as some distant idea, but God as an active member of our ohana. And the power that his presence gives us results in a lot of supernatural things. Miracles and, and supernatural conversations with him and you know, healings and, and, and all manner of manifestations. I noticed that when I was a kid uh, reading the Bible just sort of reading my little children's Bible and reading all the stories. And I, these stories are really cool. You know, God talks to people. Uh, God empowers his, his folks to heal other people. This is an exciting life. And then I would go to church and I saw none of it. Nobody was hearing the voice of God uh, during our time together. Nobody was miraculously getting healed. Uh, nobody was casting out demons. There were no interesting stories at all. Uh, and, but there was a lot of, you know, Bible teaching, but I wasn't seeing anything in the Bible, uh, in, in, in the church. So, so I would occasionally ask, uh, I would ask Sunday school leaders or occasionally pastors, uh, why, don't, why don't we see more miracles here? Why don't we try to do more miracles, I would ask in my innocent and offensive way. And over the years, I got two types of answers. Both of them I consider to be very wrong. The first type of answer I got was, well, God doesn't do that today. God doesn't do miracles today. To which I responded in good form, why not? Why not? I, I missed that part in my Bible. Uh, where does it say that God doesn't do miracles today? And of course, nowhere, nowhere do, does it say that. And so if I pushed, I usually got a second sort of answer. People would say, oh, well, that only happens for very special people. In some way, shape, or form, that was the answer. Oh, God might do miracles today, but he only does them through very special people, only very occasionally, which left me feeling hopeless, to be honest, uh, because I didn't feel like I was a very special person. I didn't know how to become a very special person. 
uh, in, in the kingdom of God. Uh, and it was just terribly uh, discouraging. And so I think ultimately I rejected that answer on emotional grounds. Well, that sucks. Because in the Bible, they happen all the time. Uh, even, even to uh, random people, these miracles. So I just kind of stewed on that uh, for a long time until uh, I don't know, try pursuing miracles on the side in my own uh, limited fashion until I eventually got to college and encountered uh, congregations uh, that actually did embrace uh, the presence of God in the here and now, the Holy Spirit and the activities of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, when, uh, when Jesus was leaving his disciples, he actually talked quite a bit about the presence of God in the here and now in the, in the shape of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have Jesus here this morning walking with us side by side or would you rather have the presence of the Holy Spirit here with us? Jesus? How, how many would say Jesus? How many of you are trying to cop out and do both A and B? Come on, stop it. It's either Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Jesus? Let's divide into two camps and split the church. One be the Jesus church and one the Holy Spirit church. In a way, I kind of feel like that's what happens in American Christendom, right? We have to pick Jesus or the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the right answer. Because it's Jesus' answer. Uh, he said, uh, very truly, I tell you, he said to his disciples, it is better for you that I am going away because unless I go away, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In Jesus' explanation, it is better for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, now how is that? How is that? Because I figure a day hanging out with Jesus next to me, that's a good day. You know, I, I feel like I could, I could accomplish a few things if I had Jesus next to me. He said, no, 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 no. It's, it's better um, for, for me to go and the Holy Spirit to come. And, and then you, you eventually read the rest of the story. Jesus was a manifestation of God in the here and now, but only for a short time uh, in the here and now. But Jesus lived as a man, which means he was actually fairly limited. To be with Jesus, you had to literally be with Jesus, you know, we all have access to the Holy Spirit. All of us can be filled with the very presence of God, not just to walk close to him, but to be indwelt uh, by the presence of God. And that can be a universal experience. We all have access to the presence of God in the Holy Spirit. We don't have to chase him uh, from town to town. And he's not limited uh, to one space. Uh, we can all do what Jesus did because what Jesus did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descended on him, empowered him, and then he began his public miracle-working ministry. We can live like Jesus lived because the Holy Spirit is now accessible to all of us. And that does sound like a, a, a pretty good deal. Um, in Acts chapter 2, uh, we read about the beginning of the church in the world, uh, the Jesus church. And, and many of you probably know that story. Uh, the disciples following the instruction of Jesus just to hang together in Jerusalem for a while. Uh, they were in a room praying together. They'd been there for about 10 days. 
as the story goes, Jesus had uh, ascended to heaven and said, don't, don't try to do any ministry until the Holy Spirit baptizes you, until the Holy Spirit fills you. I'm pretty sure they didn't know exactly what that meant, but they said, well, let's just have a prayer meeting. We know how to do that. They, they prayed together for about 10 days until the day of Pentecost. And then as they were together praying, the Holy Spirit came into the room. You know the story, right? Have you heard it? It's like so much presence and power was there that the room shook. This felt like a mighty wind blowing through the room. Uh, they saw a manifestation in the air. It seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each person who was there. And then supernatural things started to happen. Uh, many of them, at least, uh, began speaking in languages that they did not naturally understand. We call that the gift of tongues. Um, and uh, it seems like many of them uh, got some prophetic wisdom at the time. It spilled out into the streets. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but evidently the power that had filled them made them a little woozy, a little unstable on their feet because passers-by said, oh, they're drunk. You know, they, they must be drunk. And Peter uh, stood up and said, no, no, I get it. I finally get it. I understand it. This is what the prophet Joel was speaking about 600 years ago. And he quotes uh, from the Old Testament from a prophet named Joel, from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, if you're interested. The prophecy back then, 600 years before Christ, read, I will pour out my spirit on all people, God says. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see, dream, will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And Peter said, this is it. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. In the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit would come upon just a few individuals every generation and empower them to do miracles and to have prophecies. But now, in the age of the Holy Spirit, the Lord said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Anybody who wants to be empowered by the presence of God can be empowered by the presence of God. Now it just won't be a few individuals every generation getting conversation from God. It will be sons and daughters, both, both male and female, which was a really cool thing to say in what was a very patriarchal, male-dominated culture old men and young men, which was a cool thing to say in a culture that was very skewed toward the aged. It doesn't matter what gender you are, doesn't matter what age you are, if you want to be filled with the presence of the Lord and walk close to the Lord, now you can in a supernatural sort of way. And Peter said, that's what's going on today. This is a promise for everyone, he says. So repent, follow Jesus, and you too can be filled with the presence of God. You can be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And on that day, 3,000 people, it said, uh, came to the Lord. That was the beginning of the age of the Holy Spirit, and that's the age in which we walk, and that's the reality that we have to honor as a people of God. Jesus himself said, don't try to change the world until you have supernatural power from my presence. Would be, would be silly. We want to have a supernatural life. In other words, we want to be a supernatural people. God does not want you to have an easy life. Do you understand that? I'm not hearing a lot of hearty amens. Do you understand that? Right? This life is about developing in trust, trusting God's character. That requires us to have challenges. 
right? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trial and tribulations. So when I say that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do miracles, it doesn't mean that he's going to solve every challenge, right? It just means that you're going to be supernatural. There is a difference between having an easy life and being a miracle worker, right? Jesus, miracle worker? Yes. Jesus, easy life? Not so much. The Apostle Paul, miracle worker? Easy life? Not so much. A lot of prison time. I could go on. Okay, there, point made. A supernatural life is not an easier life, but it is a miraculous life. And what I want for all of us is to have a life filled with supernatural things. Supernatural conversation with God, supernatural healing, supernatural manifestation. And that is normal life in the kingdom of God. That's normal life at Blue Water Mission. Yeah, good news. Good news. Uh, Paul really stressed this to the Corinthians, a couple of scriptures in the back of your uh, program up here on the big board. Uh, there's this section of the Bible called the epistles, the letters. And basically they're, they're personal letters from uh, prominent Christian leaders of the day to various churches uh, around the world. Paul wrote a couple really good ones to the church in Corinth. Uh, and he reminds them of what it's supposed to be like to live with Jesus, to sort of live in a church. Um, he, uh, he's reminding the Corinthians in chapter 2 of his first letter to them, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. In other words, not an easy life. You know, there was a lot about me and the way I lived that was unattractive. But my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And the Greek word for power there doesn't mean like political power. It means like inherent power or supernatural power. He picks up the theme again in chapter 4 where he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Paul would never preach a sermon, but that he would also try to do a miracle, you know, heal somebody or give a prophecy or cast out of demons. And he said the reason that he operated like that was because he didn't want people to think that the kingdom of God was just some intellectual teaching, just the latest idea, or that God was not present. The kingdom of God is primarily characterized by demonstrations of supernatural power in one way, shape, or form. It can look lots of different ways. And, uh, and he really wants the Corinthians to remember that. What was happening in Corinth is that some people were coming in with a lot of secret teachings and interests and ideas. They were compelling lecturers, and the Corinthian Christians were evidently forgetting that the primary nature of walking with Jesus was that supernatural things should manifest uh, in, in your life. Manifestations like healings, deliverances, prophecies, raw encounters with God's Spirit. It's not just part of the kingdom of God on earth. It's a really vital part of the kingdom of God on earth. We are supposed to have tangible supernatural experiences. Why? Why is that so important? Why is this not a negotiable part of life with God? Why is it a big deal in, in the kingdom of God? Well, Paul gives us one reason when he says, so that your faith won't rest on men's wisdom, it will rest on God's power. Um, your faith should be grounded in an experience that you have with God. 
not in an experience that I talk about to you. You know, you should have experiences with God uh, yourself, what Paul is saying, so that no, no, uh, no teacher, no matter how, how impressive, how attractive, will ever mess you up. You know, you can check with God yourself. You'll have your own experiences with him. I think that's cool. You think that's cool? I think that's totally cool, right? It is a personal relationship uh, with the Lord that we're all supposed to have. And I also think that one of the advantages of everybody having supernatural experiences with God is that it shows uh, that life in the kingdom is about God and, and that that even non-impressive people can pull it off. I think that the accessibility of the Holy Spirit makes the kingdom of God a very egalitarian place. And the best way for me to illustrate it is this way. In, in, in those places in the church that have forgotten supernatural ministries, like prophecy and healing and you know, deliverance and stuff like that, uh, in those places, the thing that provides energy, the things that provides coherence, are usually Christian celebrities. Really, really good or entertaining teachers. Really, really good music or something like that. Which means that you can't have church unless you have a celebrity quality teacher or a celebrity quality music leader or world-class architecture or something like that, you know? But that is not what the church is supposed to be about. If anybody can have supernatural encounters with God, then you can have church in any living room with anyone, right? Any corner of any field with anyone. And I think that's what Jesus means when he says, whenever two or three of you gather, I'm with you there. You will see me. You won't see yourselves. Uh, You will see me. It's, it's an all play. We all get to participate. And in the kingdom of God, there aren't supposed to be any impressive people. We are supposed to be an irresistible, anonymous, miracle-working army. Right? No superstars uh, in the kingdom of God. Um, <clears throat> Accordingly, I can't stand the thought of making it seem as if life in the kingdom is not supernatural. I can't, I can't abide that anymore. And that sometimes has gotten me in trouble uh, in, in different places. Because the supernatural life is, is, again, a hard life. It's not meant to be easy. Uh, and if you insist on living supernaturally, if you insist on relying on miracles to get by, if you're living a life that ruggedly, then you're going to be a little bit threatening, <laughs> you know? And maybe, maybe not all Jesus followers will appreciate uh, that about you. And, and this has happened to me uh, on occasion. But I just, I just can't stand preaching Jesus in a way that does not create expectation for supernatural encounters with God. I, I just, I can't do that uh, anymore. Uh, to give people the expectation that life in the kingdom is not supernatural, oh my gosh, you know, it, it would cut them off from expecting a prophetic conversation with God, you know? I, I want to create in you an expectation that you yourself should be talking with the living God. Woe to me if I ever create an expectation otherwise. Why would I do that? You know, talking with God is cool. 
Even if he says something you don't like, it's still kind of fun. Living God is way more fun than talking to me. Yeah. You know, for me to create an expectation that life in the kingdom can be not supernatural would eliminate really cool tools that we have for caring for people. You know, I know of like two or three really cool healing stories just from this past week. Um, how, how many of you are brave enough to say that your life has been changed through deliverance ministry, getting a demon cast away from you? Yeah, you know, and that's really cool when that happens. Lives change, people get better. We just had the prophecy service last week. How cool was that? You know, I saw just non-believers walk in and get prophecies that change them uh, on the spot. That was really, really cool. Uh, and, and I don't know if I could say worst of all, but certainly tragically, I think it would make the kingdom an elitist place. A kingdom, if we're following Jesus in a way that is not supernatural, I think that tends toward elitism because the church tends to rely on superstars or really sleek or sexy people. And I can't stand that. I can't stand that. Um, so, yes, we want to be an irresistible army of small, unimpressive, anonymous miracle workers. That's us. Give each other a high five. I'm inspired. One other thing uh, before we start to wrap up here as well. Um, you know, I talk about supernatural ministries like healing and prophecy and deliverance or the filling of the Holy Spirit or tongues and stuff like that. I call them supernatural ministries only by convenience. Really, everything that we do uh, in the name of the Lord is supernatural, right? Even preaching, even teaching is supernatural in that, you know, the power for me to do this, if I do it well, shh, I don't want to hear your reviews right now. Um, comes from the Lord, does it not? Certainly the truth comes from the Lord. All sorts of gifting is called supernatural in the Bible. Uh, if you have the gift of teaching, that is a gift from God. That is a supernatural gift from God. If you have the gift of music, uh, I think that is a gift from God. I, I think the roots of that are actually supernatural. In Romans 12, leadership is called a supernatural gift. You know, some, some people just have it because it's given them from the Lord. They can use it for good or ill, but they're gifted, right? Uh, administration, the gift of administration is called supernatural by the Apostle Paul. Some people are just supernaturally administrative. Not me, but some people. Uh, and they are people I really like to have around me. If you think about it, life itself is a supernatural gift, is it not? You know, we live and breathe because God decided we should, and he created the power to do it. We're all supernatural, and really the lie is to call some things natural. You know what I mean? In in the sense of not of God's spirit, not breathed by him. Uh, And part of walking supernaturally with the Lord, I think, is embracing that uh, we're, all, we're all moving in God's spirit one way, shape, or another. Some of us embrace it extremely. And uh, that's what I want you to be. Follow me? So uh, I think the question, ultimately, if, uh, if the kingdom of God is supposed to be a supernatural place, 
We are supposed to have encounters with him. We are supposed to all hear from him supernaturally. We are supposed to regularly be seeing healings and deliverances and all sorts of divine manifestation in our midst, in every Ohana group, in every house, every time we get together. If that's supposed to be true, the question is, well, how do we get more of it? How do we get more of it? And that's what I want to just talk about in, in the next uh, six or seven weeks. Uh, what I want to do is go through uh, a battery of teachings on what, sh- what you might call supernatural ministry, on, on really ministering in the supernatural power of God for what most people would call miracles. Um, <clears throat> this is a battery of teachings that um, I've been giving uh, for years. Like when I travel a lot, I've been traveling a, a whole bunch the last a uh, few months. Um, this is usually what I'm asked to talk about. I'll go to some conference and I'll, I'll give a battery of teachings on supernatural ministry. Then, and we always come back with healing stories and stuff like that. It has been pointed out to me on more than one occasion that I have never ever given those teachings at Blue Water Mission. Uh, I've given them in, you know, a couple dozen countries around the world, uh, but never here. So I thought uh, I'll just go through them uh, here, uh, whether you want them or not. Um, some of you have read uh, a book that I wrote uh, a couple years back called uh, Miracle Work. Uh, and these are uh, the teachings that sort of uh, created the, the formation of that book. So if you read it, uh, some of this will be a repeat, but I'm much, much better in person. Much, much better in person. Um, but uh, if you have a copy of it, uh, books, you, like, you prefer the book? Uh, it's a really great Methodist church down the street here, Craig. You might want to check that out. Um, but if you, if you have a copy of it, um, you, can kind of, you can kind of follow along. I know there's at least one uh, Ohana group that's going through uh, the book, and so I'm, I'm hoping that it might be a great compliment. This series might be a great compliment uh, to that, uh, to your studies there. Um, I want to start... Uh, by just making one point uh, about the pursuit of uh, supernatural power and supernatural uh, ministries, uh, which is simply this. Have you noticed that God partners with us to get things done in the world? I think that is the first thing to realize when you approach any sort of ministry uh, in the kingdom of God. God partners with us to get things done in the world, even the supernatural things. So we know that to be an effective teacher in the kingdom of God, if you want to teach people about Jesus, if you want to teach people about Scripture, that takes some work on your part, right? You might want to study Scripture. You might want to practice teaching. You're going to make investments in that area to be a better teacher. Well, the same exact thing is true uh, when it comes to those so-called supernatural ministries. If you want to be a better healer of people, if you want to heal people supernaturally of diseases and injuries, there are things that you can do, investments that you can make, that will make you a better healer. There are practical things that you can do to be a better miracle worker. And that sounds kind of funny because you know, what I'm essentially saying is, Uh, there are exercises that you can do to get better at doing the impossible. Right? That's kind of what it sounds like. But of course, uh, miracles are not impossible. They're just supernatural. Uh, And 
we are called to partner supernaturally, to partner uh, spiritually with the Lord. Right? We understand this, do we not? If people in unreached corners of the globe are going to hear about the love of God and the ways of Jesus, what do we do? Do we pray that God would go to them and preach to them? Or do we pray for God to prepare us and then send us to go to them and preach to them? Which do we do? Well, we better do the latter. We better do the second one. Uh, and indeed, that's what we're trying to do at Blue Water, uh, which is why we send people occasionally to those unreached corners uh, of the world. We go. Where does the power come from? God, yes, yes. The answer is always Jesus or pray. Uh, where does the power come from? That's... All right. I'm sorry, I gave, I gave you two options. That was too complicated. You, you pray to Jesus. Oh, pray to God. Great. Okay, I will accept. Uh, power comes from God. Who does the ministry? We do. Okay. Uh, where does the truth come from to teach? God, Jesus. Who does the teaching? We do. Where does the power to heal come from? God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. I will accept. It's a Trinity thing. Whatever. Who does the healing? Mm -hmm. Where does the revelation come from? Who prophesies? That's how it works. This is a partnership. And our job is to embrace it and to grow in it, to pursue supernatural things in the same way that we would pursue things that seem to be a bit more natural and, and within uh, our control. We are supposed to pursue supernatural empowerment from God's spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, and then do the work. So uh, next week, we're actually going to talk about the filling of the Spirit. We're going to try and get some empowerment happening uh, at our Sunday uh, service, which is how Jesus started uh, at, his, uh, at his baptism. Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Uh, at least to some onlookers, it looked like an apparition of a dove, right? And then it said Jesus was filled with the Spirit, and then he immediately began doing miracles, right? Wrong. Then the Spirit led him out into the wilderness for 40 days. And when he was out in the wilderness, he worked out. He was tempted in every way, and he practiced obedience. He prayed and he fasted in order to practice consecration and to get authority uh, over his flesh. He worked out. And then he returned to Galilee and it says he returned in power. You get filled with God's presence, and then you do the work. You eat the nutritious meal, and then you build the muscle, and then you're gonna do amazing things. We're just gonna talk about how that goes, and we're gonna practice doing amazing things. We're going to practice being an irresistible army of small, anonymous miracle workers. Who's with me? All right, let's pray. Uh, I do pray, Lord, for the gift that the Father promised. I pray for the Holy Spirit uh, in our midst. We, we are certainly gathered in your name, Jesus, and we want to embrace uh, the full character of the kingdom of God. I pray, as the apostles prayed in Acts chapter 4, uh, that you would... Um, Give us, your servants, great boldness to preach evangelistically. Great boldness to gather up 
on our islands and abroad. And I pray, as they prayed at the same time, that you would stretch out your hand and perform miraculous signs and wonders in this city. Uh, we're willing, Lord. We are part of it. We will embrace it. We will do this because souls are at stake. Come, Holy Spirit, or as Jesus taught us to pray, Father, let your kingdom come and let your will, your agenda, be accomplished here in our midst just as it's accomplished in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.